0: This is episode 545 of the Leaving Laodicea broadcast, and my name is Steve McCraney. Undeniably, one of the most difficult aspects of the Christian life is the idea of surrender or sacrifice, or a fully understanding the implications of Jesus not only being our Savior, but also our Lord. I mean, it's that sinister four-letter word that spells disaster for most of us. Lord. L-O-R-D. Recognizing the lordship of Jesus means he's predominant over everything, including you and me, what we want to do, and when we want to do it. And pride always seems like the last holdout of our sinful nature to recognize his lordship and fall under its authority. That's why the Lord never promises to make us better. He promises to make us new, or as he says in John, to be born again for there is nothing in our old life that has any place or serves any value in our new life our old nature is continually at odds with our new nature and only one can reign supreme and the process of feeding one and starving the other is what we call practical sanctification but we'll dive into that topic on another day today we're going to continue the process of learning how to trust God at his word One truth at a time. And the truth we're going to look at is a very familiar passage in Proverbs 3 5, and 6, specifically the first phrase Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Note the qualifier, all your heart. Which brings us to the crux of this message How can I trust the Lord more than I trust myself? How can I trust God more than my reasoning, my logic, my understanding, my experience or education, my maturity, wisdom, my feelings, my sincerely held convictions, or what I know to be right and wrong, or what I know works and doesn't work for me in this world because I've experienced it in the past? I mean, how is that even possible? Join us today as we discover what happens when we take God at his word and trust him with all that makes us who we are. And in doing so, we learn how to leave Laodicea behind. We've been talking about faith. Two weeks ago, we looked at a couple passages. We looked at Romans 12, 1 and 2, which is really the hallmark passage for the higher Christian life, for a deeper intimate relationship with the Lord, that we surrender ourselves, we lay our flesh down, our body down, and then God makes some incredible promises. The only way we can do that is through faith. And so the other passage we looked at was in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 6, where it talks about faith. I want to, I'm just going to go through Really briefly, this before we jump into some new material. But what I want you to understand is the importance of faith in our Christian life. But don't fall prey to the charismatic error. The charismatic error says that the object of your faith is faith. So if I have faith in faith, that my faith can create something. My faith, if I have enough faith, I can bind God's hand, I can speak things into existence. The object of our faith is not faith. The object of our faith is him. It is his promises, his character, his truthfulness, his word. And many of us, at least my experience has been, many of us have faith to the point of believing, but when it comes to the point of acting on that belief, we many times falter. You know, we've looked at some verses. Be anxious for nothing. Oh, wow, how in the world is that done It's done by faith? Will that mean that when something terrible happens my way, I'm not supposed to worry about it? No. Well, h- how do I live that way? By faith. In what? In faith itself? Because I don't have enough faith to make myself not worry. No, and to the one who gave me the promises, to the one who laid out the word, the one who tells me not to do that because the very hairs on my head are not counted but numbered. Faith is of vital importance. And as you surrender your life to the Lord, just like prayer of full surrender we talked about months ago and two weeks ago, our last week, and then again this morning. The idea is the fact is I can't have that kind of faith as long as I think like a fleshly Western Christian. I have somehow, somehow I have to be changed. I have to be transformed. My mind has to be renewed, as it says. And the idea is the fact, and I know I've shared this with you before, and I wrote about it in uh, the book, Leaving Laodicea. The idea of the kind of faith that honors Christ is a story that I shared with you many times in the past about the great Blondin. Do you remember that? He was the guy who was the famous tightrope walker that would walk across Niagara Falls. He would start on the Canadian side, and he would walk across, then he would walk back during the uh, latter part of the last century, and people were absolutely thrilled at this. They couldn't believe that he was doing this. He would walk across, and then he would come back, and then to to thrill the crowds more, he would do something. He would push a wheelbarrow across, and then come back. Then he would say, okay, how about if I push a wheelbarrow across with uh, 200 pounds of uh, concrete mix in it? He would do that, and come back, and he would... uh, do he even at one time walked across Niagara Falls carrying a stove on his back in the middle of Niagara Falls he put the stove down and balanced it and cooked an omelet and ate an omelet on it I mean it was insane stuff that he did and every time he did that the people's faith in him grew they were amazed at what he can do and one time he came back after the um, after the wheelbarrow feat where he carried across 200 pounds of concrete mix. He came back and says, do you believe that I could carry a human being, another person in this wheelbarrow? And everybody said, yes, we've seen you do so many incredible things. Greater than that, carrying a person in a wheelbarrow is nothing to you. Remember the next thing he said? Who wants to get in? And nobody did but his mother. Nobody did. They all believed in faith he could do it, but they refused to trust themselves into the faith they claim to believe. I know you can do it. We'll get in. I'm not so sure now. And now I'm afraid. It works exactly the same way in the Christian life. Faith doesn't create anything. Faith is this channel that allows what God has already said, that God, what God has done is promises that already belong to you become real to you. As long as there's no channel between those two, no like pathway or tunnel between those two, you never experience the blessings that God has for you and what keeps you from doing that is disbelief. I don't believe it's true. I believe it's true for Billy Graham. I believe it's true for this person over here. I believe it's true for my wife or my husband or my kids, but not for me. Why? Because, well, I'm too evil, and people, you know, I know how I really am, and God would loves everybody else more than he loves me or however you want to view it, and what we're doing then is doubting the character of God. He doesn't play favorites. There is no partiality with him. And so when we understand that the promises of God are unlocked by faith, then what we need to do is figure out ways to increase our faith by destroying the doubts in our mind that hold us back. Make sense? Last week, in order for that to happen, there has to be a transformation that takes place in you. And so there's something that we do and that there's something that God promises to do for us once we do this. It's an if-then promise. Very familiar. I beg you, I beseech you. Who? Not, Not the person out there, not your neighbor or friend or somebody more spiritual than you are. I beseech you, you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, not the fear of judgment, but by how merciful he is, that you, this is something we do, we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. I am laying down my flesh. I'm laying down my wants, my desires, my, what I think should happen, my sincerely held convictions, like the prayerful surrender. This body belongs to you. You do with it what you want. You can give it cancer. You can let it win the lottery. It doesn't matter. It belongs to you. I give it to you. And then, of course, there's the doubts that pop into our heads well, my body is so terrible. My, I, you don't know what I've done with my flesh. I'm still involved in besetting sins that I can't seem to get victory of. And I've been this sick spiritually for so long, I don't even know how it's, it's supposed to get any better. But God sees our sacrifices holy because he will make us holy by the Holy Spirit and acceptable to him. I will take what you give me. You don't have to clean yourself up. You don't have to make yourself better. If there's any cleansing that needs to be done, I'll do it for you. And then, of course, because God has shown so much mercy to us, it's just the reasonable thing we should do. It's just a natural outflow of his mercy. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you no one can do this for you. You have to do it yourself. You present your flesh. You surrender your life to him as a living sacrifice. Everything in my life, Lord, I want you to make a soothing aroma to you, to put a smile on your face, to please you. And God says, I consider it holy I will accept it from you, and it's a reasonable thing you should do based on what I've done for you. What else are we supposed to do? Is there any more if passages? Yeah. You implied. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but the implication is that's something you have to do. Quit thinking like the world. I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I live in the world. I want what the world wants. The, the world honors these things. I want the world to honor me. So therefore, I'm going to do those things. The world says is honorable. I want to be successful in this world. I want to do, man, I just, I want people to like me. I want a lot of friends. I want people to give me the thumbs up on Facebook or whatever it is. I mean, That's, I have to change. Don't be conformed to this world, but you implied be transformed, transfigured. We talked about this two weeks ago, exactly what it means, like a metamorphosis. How? By thinking different, by the renewing of your mind. And we talked about the word renewing, where it means to renew qualitatively to renew and make better to make new or as if new to change the way we think and this is exactly what the holy spirit does in energized and empowered by faith when you allow him to do it to you and when that happens the greatest thing ever takes place you'll wake up in the morning and you'll have a purpose You'll look at yourself in the mirror and you'll go, I know why I'm here. I know what the perfect, good, acceptable God's will for my life is. And so therefore, I'm going to spend my my life, not like a rat on a treadmill, just making money till I get old and die or going through the motions and accomplishing nothing. But I know that I can be fulfilled. I know I can be satisfied by my mind being renewed. I can prove what is this good and acceptable and perfect will of God. How was that done? Well, it was done by faith. Faith. Transformation comes by the renewing of our mind. And our mind is renewed when we choose. This is our job. We choose to live by faith and not by what we see or what we think or what we feel faith always activates the promises of God. Again, note this, faith doesn't create those promises. That's a charismatic error. Those promises are already there in God's word. It's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like salvation. Salvation is available to all. But the fact is, it's only those who receive it by faith, that get the benefit of it. The blessings of the Holy Spirit are available to all. The promises of God are available to all. The abundant life is available to you, to all. But what energizes that between what God has for you and where you are, the conduit between those two is faith. Am I willing to receive it? I'm willing to believe those promises are for me. And am I willing to get in the wheelbarrow? and actually live according to those promises? Or am I going to believe it out here, but nevertheless in my own life, I'm going to control it by my own wits and reason and flesh? Am I going to lay myself down, offer myself, present myself as a living sacrifice as long as things are good, but as soon as things get bad, I jump back off that altar. I'll take it from here, God, because I don't have enough faith to trust you where you may send me. I've surrendered my life to you i surrendered my body to you, and I have the audacity to say you could strike me with cancer, and it doesn't matter, blind my eyes, and it doesn't matter, send me away from my family and friends to Africa or Tibet or to wherever it is, and it doesn't matter. I don't have that kind of faith. And that's where that conduit comes. As that faith grows, then all of a sudden you'll realize how much you can trust him in his promises. Because without faith, Christianity is just a bunch of words. It's just a bunch of promises that aren't real to us. And if you're not experiencing everything there is in Christ, you'll never share your faith with somebody because you ain't got no faith. You know, your life is struggling like their life is struggling, and oh, woe is me like their, oh, woe is me. And, you know, you worry about money and the economy and the future and all these things. You're bitter with God because he didn't do what you wanted to do, and he's not answering your prayers. Why in the world would you share that joy with anybody else? Because you're not experiencing it. But once you experience it between all God says and where you are becoming real to you, everything changes. So, what is faith? Well, we looked at Romans 12, and then we looked at Hebrews 11.1, which talks about faith, and then 11.6, which is where, unfortunately, most, I won't say most, many believers live. Here's very familiar passages, Hebrews 11.1. Now, faith, we've already looked at what that word means, trust, confidence, assurance, is the substance of things hope for the evidence... And then he writes this phrase of things not seen. In our culture, all we say is seeing is believing. If I see it, I believe it. If I touch it, can taste it. If I can see conceive it in my mind, I'll believe. But if I don't see it, I'll never believe. And the Lord knows that. So he tells us faith is the exact opposite of how most of us live. It's specifically Faith is something that you do not see. You don't have to see it to believe it. You simply know that it's true. It's the evidence, the conviction, the realized truth, our validity of something not seen. Does faith mean I just step out into blind darkness? No. There's so much evidence of Scripture in Scripture of God's goodness. And even in your own life, it's not like stepping out into the dark because we know his character. It's getting into the wheelbarrow and trusting the one that we sit on the sidelines and go, hallelujah, I believe. But then we really don't because we refuse to take that step of faith and trust him in his promises. Do you believe God's word about heaven? Yeah. Do you believe God's word about um, forgiving you of all your sins? Yeah. Do you believe about the rapture and the coming of Christ and millennial reign and all that kind of stuff? Yes, I believe that just more than anything. Do you believe when he says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God and he will give you the peace that maybe you've never experienced before? Uh, I believe that doctrinally, I believe that theologically, but I can't do that in my life because, what, I've, my flesh wants to worry? I, I refuse to, allow. I don't have enough faith to trust him in that word, but I do have enough faith to trust him in the sweet buy and by stuff. And most believers, including me, live this way. You know, we have sometimes that we just trust him explicitly. We call those mountaintop experiences. Then we have sometimes where we're vacillating between the two. We call those valley experiences, up and down and up and down and up and down. And then we wonder why the abundant life isn't overwhelming us. And when terrible things happen to us, we just don't soar on eagle's wings. Oh, I understand that doctrinally. And I can read stories about that happening to other people, but I never really expect it to happen to me. What we're going to be talking about the next two Sundays, um, going to give you a really solid foundation today, uh, is already yours. It's already yours. All the promises in Christ are yes and amen. Everything is yours. The abundant life is already yours. But until you believe and until you receive it by faith, it's it's like, again, I'm starving. And so I go to my father, and I say, Father, I'm really hungry. And he says, hey, I've got a feast prepared for you. It's been prepared for you. And I walk into this room, and there's this massive table covered with incredible food. It's 24-7. All my needs are satisfied. He's already provided it, but he doesn't force me to eat. He doesn't drag me by the back of my neck and stuff food to a cone in my mouth. Instead, it's there for you. I prepared it for you. Come and dine. But if I choose not to and walk away hungry, it's not because God failed. It's because I refuse to incorporate what is already mine into my life. Does that make sense? From all he is to where I am and the conduit that makes that happen is faith. It's faith in him, his promises, his word, his character, his truthfulness. Believing God to be who he says he is and to promise and fulfill what he says he will. It is really that simple, but it is very difficult to do because we fight against the flesh. But if our flesh is already surrendered to him, it opens up this door of oneness with him that no one can shut. No one. What happens if I... uh, What happens if I don't do that? How about if I just try to do good things? How about if I try to live my Christian life by my own wits, the way I want to do it? You know, I'm better than I used to be. Um, not as bad as I used to be, you know, not as good as I want to be, but you know, I'm trying and I'm doing all the things I need to do. I'm reading my utmost for his highest and I'm reading my Proverbs and my, you know, uh, Psalm every day. And, you know, I'm, I'm listening to Christian radio sometimes. And, you know, I'm trying. I got, I got vid angel on my television to edit out all the bad words and I'm doing all that kind of stuff. It's not faith. It's not faith. It doesn't please him. It's good, but it's not the best. Here's what he says. But without faith, without that conduit, it is impossible, not capable under any circumstance, impossible to please him. Why? Because this is who he is, and the world doesn't believe in him. You say you believe in him and the conduit for him being able to show the world his light through you is shrunk to nothing because of your lack of faith. How in the world can we please him by saying we believe in him and not surrender our life to him, not trust him, not let him do things through us because of our lack of faith? It is impossible no matter what you do to please him. If you're like me... You always ask the question, why? That seems unfair. I don't understand. Isn't cognitive mental acceptance, acquiescence enough? No. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Oh, so all these different words the Holy Spirit could have used here, but instead he talked us about, he's talking to us about God is the ever present one the one that is always there. It is the I am that I am at the burning bush in, in, uh, in the cave back during Exodus with Moses. That God is. He's always there. It's not that he was. It's not that he shall be but he is right now today with you in you supporting you around you wanting to do everything he can to reveal himself to you to let you bear his spiritual fruit for you to be a light in darkness for him to love through you encourage others through you for you to have the joy of the holy spirit in you by expanding that conduit or at least opening it up so all the promises of god become real to you, not just cognitively, but you actually act on them, come to his table and feast with him. But that's not enough. Not only do you believe that he is, but that he will reward you for your effort, that he will give you more or let you experience more than you have now. That the fear that you have will be eradicated and filled with faith and confidence. The dread that you have, the concern that you have, the, the insecurity that you struggle with, the lack of abundance in your spiritual life or your emotional life or whatever it is, that he will take all that away. He will take you out of the miry clay. He will set you on the rock. All those promises and all those verses that we memorize and quote are not just theology and doctrine not just theory, but he will show us how to make them practical, experiential to you if you simply trust him. He is a rewarder of those who diligently, oh, that's that qualifier, seek him. Hence the sermon last week, which talked about desire plus effort. I mean, desire without effort. Do you remember the name of it? equals nothing nothing those that diligently seek him that want him more than anything again I'm I know I'm older than many of you in here most of you in here I am 67 uh, years old and I was once you when I was younger and I wanted to make my way in this world and thought this you know I could be a Christian that would season my life in this world a little bit. And, you know, as I was raising kids and, you know, earning money and buying a house and, you know, doing all those things, it seems so vital today. And, you know, they are important. And as you get older, you look back on it and realize that none of that stuff really matters. None of it does. You know, companies come and go, retirements come and go, health comes and goes. What matters more than anything is being able to do what we know is true, but can't experience it because our faith in that is so small, is bearing his fruit, living in his light, letting him wow others out there with what he does through us. Not what you do, but what you allow him to do through you. And it is all energized by faith. So what happens to all his promises right here that belong to me? If my conduit like a plumber's pipe is full of crud and nothing happens, I'm over here and all his promises are over here. Does the fact that I'm not experiencing his promises make them not true? No, they're completely true. But you'll never benefit from them because they're activated by faith. And we won't experience them unless we have the faith, not just to believe like they did with the great blondin, but to get in that wheelbarrow and surrender your life to the faith in Him. Trust Him that much. So we're going to be looking at some of the how questions. Um, trying to move from theory to practical application on understanding how to actually live this way. And we can show you how to do it, the answer to the how questions. But if you don't do it, that's on you. If you refuse to act on that, then it becomes nothing more than some sort of college lesson or Sunday school lesson on the how parts of that. It's trusting him. I have a, I've had a very good life. Um, I'm sometimes really shocked that I have, a, I have a perfect marriage, I got great kids, you know, I'm reasonably healthy, I've wanted for nothing, I certainly haven't missed any meals, you know, and God has, uh, God has really blessed me uh, immensely, but the fact is life, is, life is more than that. Life is greater than that. There's, there's as good as my life has been, the fact is that uh, I'm going to leave it all behind. I mean, it's just a small transitory flash of light compared to eternity. And my way of thinking about things and my way of doing things may seem right to me and seem uh, plausible in our culture, but it's not the way he does things. And the more you surrender to him, the more his mercies begin to renew your mind and change you, and then all of a sudden it's very easy to think differently and not be conformed to the image or pattern of this world. So all those promises belong to us. And really, he doesn't have to add any more. You have the God himself living in you. What more can he do? The excuse that we have of not experiencing all those things, now unto him who can do exceedingly abundantly beyond, you remember that passage, is on us. It's that lack of faith or lack of trust. And as Christians, we have a tendency of defaulting to the mental, I believe, but I refuse to step into the wheelbarrow. I believe, but I'm not going to handle my finances godly. I believe, but I'm not going to raise my kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord because if I do that, they're, they're going to reject me. They're going to be like everybody else's kids. Or they want to be like everybody else's kids and I don't want to be peculiar or thought weird of or, or at work or however it is. It's once we make that decision to trust him for everything that he is that things change. He's already provided everything for us. All we have to do is believe and trust in Him and surrender to Him. And don't get me wrong, it is the hardest thing to do. It is simple to do, it's simple to understand, but it is so hard to say no to your flesh and yes to Him. And if you will do it with just one passage, do it with one truth, it will all of a sudden, he'll show himself so powerful in your life that it's easy to trust him with another, and then another, and then another. And by taking these baby steps, pretty much we're fully engulfed in his goodness, which is the higher Christian life, which is the abundant life, or as the Bible talks about, the overcomer life. I shared with you when I was looking at these how questions That I just simply sat down at my desk and I started writing out how questions. Not why or the doctrine behind it, but how do we actually do these things. I came up with 53 of these just within 15 or 20 minutes, 53 of these. I took the first eight and just posted it on here two weeks ago. I mean, we can learn all about this. We can learn about how to hear from God or how to hear through his word or how to walk according to the spirit. And we can show you how to do that. And we are. But The key is not just knowing, again, like the great blondin, or believing he can do it or God can do it, but placing yourself in his hand and allowing him to do it through you. Through you. So a couple weeks ago, I was asking the Lord to give me one passage, a very familiar passage, nothing obscure from Zephaniah or Haggai or something of that nature, that everybody knows, that everybody has memorized and show us what it means and show, show us, Lord, how to actually prove by practical experience that this passage is true, not just for those out there, but for you specifically, And how, in a a very simple way, that we can actually trust ourselves to this and give him an opportunity to flood through that conduit as we're opening it up by faith, all his truth of his promises, and teach us that his word is always valid in every circumstance. And so the question I had was this, how to find God's direction in your life? Really simple. When I wake up in the morning, what am I supposed to do with my life? God, what do you want me to do? Not only with the long-term goals, what do you want me to do with the short-term goals? What do you want me to do today? What do you want me to do right now? What uh, what passage do you want me to read? How do you want me to converse with this person? Who do you want me to share my faith with? Show me what you want me to do right now. There's a bunch of passages that talk about that, but the one I chose was the very familiar one, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It has kind of a cadence to it when you actually say it. it you know, it's, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge Him, and then the long phrase, and He will direct your paths. Trust in the Lord, okay, with all your heart. Don't even know what that means. And an and, and example, since you don't know what it means, let me, let me give you an example, Steve. Why don't we just start with this? How about leaning not on your own understanding? okay. I can begin there. Anything else? Sure. In all your ways. All your ways. Acknowledge him. And if I do, what do I get? It's the answer to your question. The how, the promise. He will direct your paths. So if I do these three things, he'll do the rest. Yeah. If you trust in the Lord with all your heart, and if you lean not on your own understanding, And if, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and again, I don't even know what these words mean, then he promises he will direct my paths. We stop right here. This is either true or it's not. You either believe it or you don't. If you don't believe the then part of this promise, you'll never do the first ifs. If you don't believe that he will direct your paths, however he does that, then we might as well stop and just pack it up and go home. But if you do believe that he will and you do believe this promise is for you and if you do believe that this promise is energized or applied to your life by the faith you have to do the if part of this, then all of a sudden we're motivated to see what more it says. There are certain things that I have to do and there are certain things that he has to do if his promise is not big enough, if his promise is not magnanimous enough, if you don't have a desire for what he's going to offer you, then you'll never pay the cost of the ifs and we'll end up staying just like we are, which is to quote Dr. Phil, you know, how's that working for you? You satisfied with your spiritual life right now? I mean, you're mounting up with wings and soaring like eagles, or, or, you know, there's so much spiritual fruit in your life right now that you as a branch on the vine are kind of bowed down low because of all God's doing in your life? Or is it just up today, down tomorrow, up today, down the next day, I'm doing really good, oh, I got this thing in the mail, oh, I got a phone call from somebody, oh, something happened at work, now I'm crushed, and, you know, it's just up and down and worry and this, or are we living the same life today that we lived three years ago, five years ago, ten years ago? Have we learned anything at all? Are we still letting, wanting God to season what we want to do rather than us crawl in his lap and let him work through us? Are we still afraid to turn control over to him? There's some things that we have to do. We have to trust in the Lord with all our hearts. And there's some things we don't need to do. We lean not on our own understanding. To me, that's the hardest part. That's the hardest part. I've shared this with you before, and I don't want to sound arrogant, but this is truly my heart. I, don't, I, I am not afraid of Satan at all. There's absolutely nothing about Satan that scares me. I am petrified of me. You understand? Of me. Every one of my sins isn't because Satan, like the old Flip Wilson, the devil made me do it. No, every one of my sins is because I did it. I choose to do it. I made that decision. I rationalized it in my brain, maybe tempted by the enemy, but it was my choice to be done. I, I don't fear him at all. So when it comes to lean not on your own understanding, this is the hardest thing for me because it's my own understanding that dictates most of my life. It's what I want to do, when it seems reasonable and right to me, how I've worked out all these contingencies in my brain, and God, I want you to bless what I want to do, but that's not what the passage says. I trust in him with all my heart. I lean not on my own understandings. And doing that in everything that I do, I acknowledge him, an amazing word that uh, we're going to be looking at next week. I acknowledge him and then the promise. He will direct my paths. He will do it all. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. I have some questions. Um, I see there's a qualifier here. I'm to trust in such a way that it's with all my heart. I don't even know what that means. How in the world do you trust with all your heart? I mean, you give me a brief explanation in this verse which says I'm supposed to lean not on my own understanding, but I don't really know how that's done in a practical way. I mean, how much decisions do I make versus how many decisions does God make? Uh, I see the word all in all your ways. And this in the Septuagint is the word pos. It's in the Greek. It means everything, in totality, complete, without exception, in every single thing I do. My relationship with my wife, the way I handle money, what I watch, what I listen to, the relationships I have with other people, how I spend every waking moment of my life is included in the all. In all my ways, I acknowledge him. I'm not even sure what the word acknowledge means. And when you look it up, you're going to be shocked at what's involved in that. And he will direct my paths. How will he direct my paths? How how does that even work? And so I asked a bunch of questions. I suggest you do this. When you're studying a passage, get a sheet of paper out. Ask these questions as if God was sitting with you. Because these are the questions you're going to struggle with. Here are mine. What does pure trust look like? I mean, how can I trust again after I've been betrayed in the past, maybe betrayed by the person I trusted the most? How how is that even possible? Can I really trust you to keep your word? Can I trust you to keep your word about everything or just about the things that I don't really care about? And if I step out on a limb to get you to keep your word on something I don't want to have happen, if it does happen, do I trust that your word is good? Did, did, Did you know what you're doing? Can I trust him to reveal himself to me uh, when I need to know it? Exactly right now, do I have to wait and and go through some laborious Bible study and try to come up with something myself? Can I trust you to speak to me so I know it's your voice? Or is it going to be my own voice masquerading as you, making me think this is you, but it's really me? How does that work, God? How does that work? And your whole heart? I mean, how can you trust your whole heart with anything? I mean, how is that done? I mean, the person I trust the most is Karen, but do I trust Karen with everything about me, or do I still hold something back in reserve? Do I trust him with the stuff that would affect my family, or do I trust him with only the stuff that would affect me? I mean, how, how, can, I, how can I explicitly trust you when sometimes I have a hard time hearing from you? And maybe it's because I don't spend the time listening. I spend all the time talking. How do I do that? And God, I'm a I'm a motivated, prideful, entrepreneur kind of guy. I mean, if I see it, I want to do it. How, do I, how does that fit into the equation? Do I become a doormat? Or do I just wait on you to say something? I mean, how does my free will and your sovereignty when it comes to trusting you actually blend together? I mean, how does that passage flesh out in real life? I don't know anybody who lives that way. And the biggest problem I have is this. How can I, tr- I can trust you, God, more than somebody else. But how can I trust you more than I trust me? How do I trust you more than what I think or feel? or my experience or education or what I know to be true, my maturity or wisdom I think I have, my sincerely held convictions. I know what I want to do. I know what seems right to me. I can think I can fix this problem this way. I've done it that way in the past. How can I trust you more than I trust me, especially if you tell me to do it in a way that I know is not going to work? Who wins, you or me? I can tell you the answer to that most of the time, it's me, but I don't win. I win the battle and lose the war. Make sense? Surrender isn't done that way. God, if I'm really going to trust this question, this promise, I got one last question for you. Who in the world can trust anybody like you're asking me to trust you? Answer, a little child. A little child. A little child, Stonewall, explicitly trusts Stephanie completely. And then when Stonewall gets a little older and all of a sudden starts doing things himself, that trust evaporates. Because at that age, as a little child, we just trust completely. But when we get older, we think we know better. And Jesus said, Jesus said that we're to trust him like a little child. He must increase. And I must decrease. I mean, how does that work? What do I do? Can I have the faith that you will direct my paths? First thing I want to do, and I'm going to close with this, and I apologize for not getting much further, is I want to figure out exactly what these words mean. Tell me what you're expecting of me, God. Tell me what you want me to do. Okay. We'll look at trust. Here's what trust means in the Hebrew. It means to be confident, to have faith, to believe. But it expresses a feeling of safety and security that is felt when one can completely rely on someone or something else. You know, when when we have a little bitty kid at home and they come with a question and they say, hey, daddy, uh, and ask, can you do this or what's going to happen here or something of that nature, the father simply says, don't worry about it, son. I'll take care of it. And when we're really little, that's enough for us. Okay, that's fine. But as we get a little older, we want more of an explanation. Uh, how are you going to take care of that? Tell me exactly how you're going to do it, Dad. When are you going to do it? Can you let me know how this is going to work out? Because it's not that I, I just don't trust your word anymore. I have no reason to doubt you. But because I've developed more in my own mental pride flesh, you know I need some sort of explanation here. Trust In him means to feel safety and security, knowing I can completely trust in him. Trust in the Lord. The Lord. Matter of fact, I shared this with you a couple weeks ago that one of the, um, that opened up every lexicon, every uh, Hebrew Bible and word study I had in Logos. 20 different volumes. And I started looking at every single possible nuance of the definition of this word. word, And one of the commentaries or one of the lexicons said that it's the trust that a dog has when we come up to pet it and it rolls over on its back and exposes to us its soft, defenseless underbelly. You ever seen a dog like that? You know, you go up to pet it. Some dogs, they look at you with those eyes, and you're petting the head, and they got this sneer on their face. You kind of pet them like this. Some dogs just roll right over, I'm yours. I'm yours. Just You know, we always say, well, he just wants us to rub his belly. Well, what he's doing is showing you how much he truly trusts you. Explicitly, you can stomp me, you can kill me. I have no defense at all. I trust you that much. Every time we pet a dog like that, it's an example of how we're to trust God. And by the way, it says, trust in the Lord. There's several different Hebrew words for Lord. And uh, this one happens to be Jehovah. The one that we use as the proper name for the God of Israel. It's the same name that God revealed himself to Moses as the I am that I am. It is the ever present one. We are to trust in the one who is always with us. We are to trust in the one who is self-evident, self-existent, self-sufficient, that needs nothing from anybody. We're to trust in the one that is not needy. All creation, our very lives, the breath that we take is dependent upon him. Can you, it is the, it is, it seems like it would be the easiest God, or picture of God to trust. We're to trust in the Lord knowing that Jesus said that without him, we can absolutely do nothing. It is the same name that God gave Moses to go to Pharaoh. Who is a, says that I have to let you go? The existing one, the ever-present one, the I am that I am. God directed Moses' path back then, and he will direct our paths today. He's the same yesterday and today and forever, and he doesn't change. Trust in this picture of God. I'm to trust in God, whose name is so sacred that the Jewish scribes would stop and they would go through a ceremonial washing, change their clothes before they would come back and write his name again, and then do it again because it was that sacred they didn't want to defile it. God, whose primary attribute is holiness, I'm to trust and he has chosen to make us holy in his sight. Who loves me more than that? Who is more trustworthy than that? I'm to trust in the Lord. Wow, so I'm beginning, to, um, I'm beginning to get a picture of how big this God is in this promise. I've kind of kept him in this little box like a genie in a bottle that I rub, and he comes out and does what I want, Maybe. But instead, he is the I am that I am. He is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But God does not, um, God does not honor apathy as much as I wish he did. God does, God does not honor haphazardness. And neither do we as employers or people we admire um, people that achieve great heights and whatever they decide to do. It's, it's always based on work and some sort of ethic. It works the same way spiritually, that God honors faithfulness and God honors commitment, and so therefore God places a qualifier here. And this is as far as I'm going to get today, and I apologize. Um, the qualifier is this, you do trust in the Lord with all your heart. All your heart. It's personal. It's not somebody else's heart. Somebody else isn't supposed to trust in the Lord that much. You are. All is the Hebrew word that we translate in the Greek as pos. Each, every, everything, the whole, in totality, ex- with no exceptions. I am to trust in the Lord with every molecule of my heart, every cell, every nucleus of my heart, every essence of my being, my heart. I'm not supposed to trust in the Lord with all of Karen's heart or all of Billy Graham's heart or all of some preacher's heart. I have to do this for myself. I'm to trust in him to the point of being secure and safe, even in the middle of a storm. Like when the disciples thought their ship was going to be swamped by the gale and Jesus was on a cushion in the back of the boat with water, I'm sure, splashing over the side, asleep on a pillow. Do you remember that? He got up, rebuked it. Everything was was, uh, quiet and turned to his disciples. Why did you doubt? Why don't you trust like I trust? Oh, that kind of trust with all your heart. This is a very important word. I did an extensive word study on this in the Leaving Sea book as we were going through first chapter of Hebrews here. It means It's the seed of everything that I am, my will, my fear, my emotions, my soul, my thought, my understanding, everything, my personality, my character, my desires, my determination, everything that makes me who I am is what I'm to trust him with. That's why when it says lean not on your own understanding, it's leaning not on believing everything that makes you you and defaulting to him. I don't want to be better in made in my own creation, thinking my own thoughts. I want to be made new in the image of Christ, thinking his thoughts, holding on to his values, being an emissary or an extension of him. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Um, I will share this last thing with you here. Uh, this man... Is a man named Abraham Maslow. He uh, died in 1970. You may not have heard of him unless you studied. Uh, had an undergraduate degree in psychology. Uh, this is not. Well, let me just explain this to you. When I was uh, going to school, I uh, I had double majors in college. I had a major in psychology and a major in philosophy, and um, really very philosophy is a very practical degree to get, because there's a lot of money paid for philosophers to sit under the tree and think deep thoughts. Uh, But back then, there were several schools of psychology, theories of personalities, pretty much. Uh, One of them was like the Freudian school, which was kind of passe by the time I went to college in the the, uh, uh, mid-70s, because it always had to do with some sort of turmoil that you took place as a kid that formed who you are today. What was popular at that time was something called uh, classical and opera conditioning from a, a psychologist named B.F. Skinner, where they tried to, uh, you may remember this in school, they tried to reduce human behavior to just impulses. And they did this by having these rats, and they would condition these rats to you know, hit this bar and get a food pellet by you know, changing stupid stuff and none of that stuff really appealed to me until I hit Abraham Maslow. Abraham Maslow is the father of what's called humanistic psychology. And humanistic psychology has some biblical truths in it. And what he is known for is this. And this is what I'm going to stop with today. I've also got it on your handout. What Abraham Maslow basically said, as as human beings, we have a tendency of fixating at the lower baser level of our, we would call it in the Christian life, our flesh or our nature, and never achieve the higher quality he called self-actualization. What that means is love and grace and mercy and peace and altruism and giving and integrity and everything that makes Christian virtues we would talk about today if you took Christianity out of it. And so all of us basically fall, according to Maslow, fall under this need section. The first need we have is our physical needs. Air, water, food, shelter, clothing, stuff of that nature. And, and so therefore, you know, people have a tendency of, I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know what I'm going to eat. I'm so worried about my finances and all that kind of stuff. They never can get any higher on that because they're so focused just on themselves. Then you have safety needs, uh, personal security, my job, my resources, who's going to take care of me? Am I going to have enough money to pay all the bills? What about my retirement? And a lot of Christians just fixate right there and trust God no higher than this. Maslow was a Jew. Maslow was not a believer. There's nothing Christian about this, but the format fits. And then all of a sudden we have love and belonging, such as friendship and intimacy and family and you know, loving your children and loving your uh, loving your wife and your spouse and identifying yourself as a good, godly family man. And uh, some people get no further than that. I'm so scared about my kids. Something's going to happen to my kids or my family or my relationship. God, I can't trust you with them. So we stop in our relationship. Then we move up further where most people fixate at, which is esteem how we feel about ourselves, our self-esteem, our status, our our recognition, our insecurities, our fears, our phobias. You know, I just don't trust God with this, or I'm afraid this is going to happen. And we never move to what Maslow called self-actualization, or what Jesus would call fruits of the Spirit. Love, and peace, and joy, and security, and Long suffering and patience, and being able to forgive—not just seven times, but seventy times seven times—and and as we're, what we're going to do uh, next week is, we're going to take these passages that we looked at today. We're going to continue defining exactly what these words mean, and then we're going to look at one issue, what Maslow would call esteem. And we're going to look at one issue and what the scripture says about fear and insecurity and dread and things that hold us back from, from not being maybe all God wants us to be. And we're going to show from Scripture how to overcome those by the renewing of your mind. I was hoping to cover this today, but I um, but I haven't been able to. You know, we're going to be talking about. All these things we want to feel, that Jesus provides for us, that we try to find in other people, and since we can't find Him in other people, we feel like this. And all of a sudden, you know, we superimpose what we is provided for us by God, everything that we need. we're complete in Him, and we demand it for other people, and when it doesn't happen, it turns us into this. And you know what that's like? But that's as far as I'm getting today, I'm sorry. We will, uh, we will finish that up hopefully, uh, hopefully next week. And I think you will see some truths in here that will literally change your life to allow you to be able to trust him with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. We're gonna talk about that word acknowledge and what it really means. And then the promise that is yours. Here's the promise, here's where you are. And depending on how much of that promise is realized in your life depends on how big that conduit is activated by faith from where God is and where he wants to take you. Amen. Sorry to end abruptly like this, but let me pray.